And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. I am excited, happy, thirsty, hot. Got a very special program today. Those vinyl heads who've been looking forward to what I've got to say are going to be very, very happy. Not because I'm going to be saying it, but because I've got a very special guest in the studio. Nelson's got the week off, so I'm going to set the stage today. Then I'm going to bring in my guest. Vinyl records, also known as a phonograph or phonographic records, sometimes simply referred to as vinyl, have a rich history. You know they were first introduced several hundred years ago, and here's a brief overview for you. Emil Berliner patented the gramophone in 1887, which used flat discs made of hard rubber for playback. This marked the birth of the disc-based phonograph, what we think of as records. Then turn to the 20th century, with that of the shellac era. In the early 20th century, shellac became the standard material for records. These 78 RPM, known as revolutions per minute records, were brittle but popular for decades on. Then the vinyl era. In the 1940s and 50s, in particular, vinyl records made of polyvinyl chloride, PVC. Yeah, the same stuff you see running uh, underneath your house and in your walls. Started to replace shellac. These 33 and a third RPMs, also known as LPs or long-playing records, and 45s, 45 RPM singles, provided longer playing times and allegedly better sound quality. Then you have the golden age, the age that most of our listeners remember. Vinyl records reached their high point in the 1960s and 70s. Rock is almost synonymous with vinyl. Artists released iconic albums on LPs, long plays, and record players were a staple in most households worldwide. Then turn to the late 1980s into the 1990s. Vinyl's popularity began to wane. We saw a meteoric rise of a new format, the CD or compact disc, proponents of which claimed that compact discs would be far superior give much higher fidelity, scratch-proof, and would make better copies. Many music stores phased out their vinyl sections altogether. Finally, the early 21st century has seen and continues to see a resurgence of vinyl. Audiophiles and collectors alike have embraced the format's warmth, claiming the music makes them feel more visceral, emotional, and nostalgic. This resurgence is unlike anything ever seen before. There are so many vinyls being stamped today that literally the industry can't keep up. Just in 2022 alone, about 16 million new vinyls were sold, which is about the same number as were sold during its heyday in the 60s. Vinyl records continue to be cherished by enthusiasts and collectors alike, now coexisting with other digital formats in the music industry. But you don't need to hear me go on and on about the history of vinyl. Today I have the great pleasure of interviewing a vinyl record lover who also happens to be a friend and a colleague, a history professor, a polyglot, a dad, and even a PhD candidate at Constantine the Philosopher University in Nitra. Mr. Ben Sorensen, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, what is up, my man? It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, and I love talking about vinyl. Uh, it's, it's honestly what started me in my, my, my journey as a historian as well as an ethnologist or cultural anthropologist. 
How so? Well, you know, whenever you're a little kid, right, yeah. um, and your parents used to break out, you know, the records and they'd put them on the record player. Do you remember that hook arm that would hold one up and then I, it'd finish and the arm, the arm, arm would, would reach out and grab it, yeah. And then that other record would drop and yeah. then it'd come back and it was like a changer. Well, okay, so my parents didn't really listen to their music collection as much, but I was fascinated from a young age with music. Uh, I even would go to the local library and borrow vinyl. Yes, that used to be a thing. You could go to the local public library and borrow vinyl. I discovered Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath that way. Nice, nice. Well, I was going to ask you to tell us a little bit about um, your childhood experience with vinyl, so you beat me to it. Um, Any other anecdotes you want to share about the connection potentially between vinyl and any of your more recent endeavors, uh, including but not limited to what your marriage to someone from another country, your travels uh, throughout Europe, uh, your pursuit of this PhD in, I guess, ethnology? Right. Yeah, well, ethnology and history at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but what's rather amazing, right? So whenever I was a little kid, yeah. I, and I was listening to vinyl. I was listening to like the Beatles White Album. Yeah. Or I'd throw on um, uh, Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. Um, some things my parents didn't listen to. I also threw on country. Yeah. Know? So <clears throat> from a very young age, I was exposing myself by going to the local library as well as uh, picking through their collection mm-hmm. to many different genres of music, everything from classical all the way over to. Well, at the time, what they would have considered like heavy metal. Right. Uh, wasn't quite Metallica yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But, I mean, uh, so even with that, as I as I got older, I would very often pull out uh, different records and borrow them. Like I discovered Joy Division by borrowing one from the local library. They happened to have, I want to say it was Closer. Um, in fact, today I brought a copy of Closer that's actually a very rare copy. If you take a very close look at it, um, it's with the original white uh, sleeve, and the the record itself is clear. Nice. So, you know, that, the, the things have, they, they've really advanced. Now, as far as using the records for, you know, my background in, as an ethnologist, um, one thing I should also point out, I also have a degree in music. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I kind of try to hide it, you know. It's better to be poor once as a historian rather than poor twice as a musician and historian. Yeah. I understand. (laughs) You know, there's no money to be made in either. Uh, But, so, unless you're, I guess, Taylor Swift. Um, Yeah, number one vinyl selling artist uh, currently. Oh, my goodness. One in every 20 pieces of vinyl uh, stamped and sold, I understand, is Taylor Swift. Seriously. Unbelievable. Wow, wow. Do you know which one it happens to be? Is it like Evermore? I I don't. Is it 1989? I don't. Oh. Well, as you can tell, okay, so I just outed myself there. I am also somewhat of a Swifty. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. I I, I, I can tell. I can tell. So you haven't made it to one of her concerts yet. The Eras Tour, you haven't made that, have you? I tried to get a ticket. Yeah, I was one of those people that got blocked well, out. Well, it's hard, you know. You got to decide: Am I going to pay the mortgage this month, or am I going to buy a ticket? Well, for um, Swift, I'm going to push your pressure for a little Tay-Tay? bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to the concert. So obviously, <laughs> your upbringing, uh, being able to go to the library, I'm sure you mm-hmm. had friends that listened to vinyl, so you guys could swap and share oh, um, yeah. ideas. But <clears throat> I've heard you talk about some American artists, and yes, while America has been a hotbed for vinyl, and to this 
you know, day still is more more vinyl sold to Americans than by far anywhere else in the world. Um, I noticed that you've handed me a couple of things that look foreign, to say the least, um, including one that I recognize. But when I turn it over, I don't recognize any of the writing. So this is a Black Sabbath one I'm holding, ladies and gentlemen. You can't see this, but on the back it uh, says Schnickadam um, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that is actually in Azbuka. Um, or in, it's Russian, but the, wow. the the writing is Cyrillic or Azbuka, oh, as you would Cyrillic. say. Cyrillic, yeah, that's what it yeah, looks so, like. Um, it looks like a font that I recognize, Cyrillic. Right, yeah, it, it is Cyrillic. Uh, those are all different songs that came out on, uh, let me see, I can tell you which albums these would have come off of. Probably the first as well as, on. oh boy. And it's a little dark in the studio, everyone. Mm -hmm. Give me just a second. So... Yeah, Black Sabbath, NIB, um, Planet Caravan. Okay, so yeah, this is off the first two albums. Um, so this would have been printed, I'm looking for a year. I'll find one. 1970. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this particular one was printed for the um, for the Soviet Socialist Republic, uh, the USSR, as well as Satellite States. Um, it had actually cleared the censors. That okay. one, and those are all original Black Sabbath. A lot of people seem to think that anything from the West wasn't coming in right. to Soviet states or yeah. communist states. But it was. Yeah, it was. And it, it passed through the censors, and right. it got there, even to the point where many artists, uh, say in the Czech Republic, they would take American songs mm -hmm. and rewrite the words and put it in Czech or put it in Slovak. And so uh, Americans can go there all the time and hear a song they're like oh i know this but the words are completely different uh for example uriah heep lady in black um is also a very famous czech song um mm -hmm. or soldier of fortune uh who did that one um oh it'll come to me it will come to me ian jillian and deep purple actually nice. yeah so deep purple uh they also redid uh, that song, Lady in Black, and they did it in Czech. Now, it's my understanding that with this resurgence of vinyl, the people who stamp these records, these companies can't keep up. And I, I have heard, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that some of the Soviet-era printing presses have been retrofitted, cranked back up, <laughs> yeah, uh, leased out or, or, or sold to, I guess, the, um, the Swiss, whoever's selling all this vinyl now i think it's the swiss and that's where it gets interesting right so if you're collecting vinyl uh, okay so i should i should make a little comment about why vinyl is important sure yeah uh so first off um vinyl there's a lot of things that haven't been digitized mm -hmm. um and i brought a couple of examples um like there is a panorama box set uh that is actually an ethnomusicological uh collection of Slovak folk music. So I can't get for, that on CD or no, MP3? Okay. No, I, I made an MP3 from that box set. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, that thing is hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. I also brought, um, I want to say, I, I, if you check the back of it, it should be uh, Joe Glazer. It, it should be in English, the songs of the IWW. Mm -hmm. That one should be coming from, let's see, is this one... Collector Records. Okay, no, this one is before actually uh, the Smithsonian got a hold of it. So yeah, this was released one last time by the by by the Smithsonian, but this one is from uh, Collector Records, and these are song work songs of the Wobblies or the IWW, the 
the singing fighting union. And Joe Glazer was one of their best interpreters of those songs. Uh, that I'm not sure has been put digitally out there. And but if it has, it's relatively CD. recently, yeah. Right. There may be a CD, but that was through um, the Smithsonian. I'm not sure that anything on it is from that is even in press right now. So some of you know to to be able to document the history of some music and as well as um, cultures, right. you have to sometimes just go back to the vinyl. As an ethnologist, as a cultural anthropologist, yeah, yeah. especially one who loves music, very often I'm looking for a CD or an MP3, and whenever I find the MP3, it's coming off somebody's vinyl, right? And it's not out or it there just for doesn't exist at all, right? Right, it doesn't exist at all unless it's on vinyl. So you can't buy it from iTunes or yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And let's face it, um, in the late 1800s. Uh, once Emil Berliner had created the gramophone, mm -hmm. which was the first thing where you could not only record but play it back. Right. Right. I mean, there was what was it? The audio gramophone before then. Mm -hmm. Can't remember the inventor's name. Edison, sure maybe Thomas Edison. No, it was before Edison. Okay. This guy used to use uh, lamp black, which is basically black carbon, carbon black. Oh wow. Thrown on paper. This is the paper thing you're yes, talking about. Yes. And show you. whenever they would uh, record it, it would just make a line, and it was it it was this idea of being able to visually study music. Wow. Uh, however, they didn't know if they could get it to play back we have gotten the first right. one to play back and it's a 15 year old girl singing what we think is claire de lune wow yeah, yeah. it's freaky sounding i'm sure we can find it so um, there's so there's importance there's oh, there's, there's uh for academic reasons right right but also for like just just good old-fashioned historical archival reasons, right? right? Anthropological reasons. Right now, we can't find any uh, recordings of Franz Liszt, but if there is one, it's going to be on. Sure. It's going to be on a cylinder disc, mm -hmm. on a wax disc, or vinyl, or shellac, right? Uh, some of the greatest blues musicians that we ever had—they were recorded, believe it or not, on Paramount Records, which was mm -hmm. a record company created by a furniture company right. that went out and recorded people like Sun House and yeah. you know, a lot of other just who like uh, Blind Lemon you know right. they they recorded some of the best blues artists of the day because they were making turntables and they right. wanted to have a record to sell with the turntable as furniture now a lot of those shellac and uh, 78s that they made and yeah. some of the late vinyls from the 30s They've ended up at the bottom of a river. They're totally destroyed. Uh, so if you find a Paramount Blues album, it is increasingly important for thousands of reasons. Um, one of them is American history, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, and also if we go back to like the late 1800s, like I was saying, if we go back there, um, Bella Bartok, who was a great pianist, great composer, died in 1945. Um, but in the late 1800s, he was born in Hungary. He was recording different types of folk songs and uh, music from little villages all the way from Romania through Slovakia into Czech, to modern-day Czech Republic, modern Slovakia. This was all Austria, Hungary, and also into Romania. Mm -hmm. He was working as one of the first ethnomusicologists, and then he would compose his own music based on what he had heard there, um, much like Franz Liszt. What's really crazy is he's born five years before Franz Liszt dies, and there is a recording of Bartok playing Franz Liszt, which is how he got famous in the first place wow. as one of the greatest interpreters of one of the greatest pianists of all time. Wow. And I that'd know make, of that'd make, one. That'd make Kanye copy. West jealous. But Kanye West should probably be jealous of a lot. But yeah. <laughs> so uh, for our audience's uh, listening pleasure, is there any evidence of 
um, spoken word being recorded. Oh my, yes, all the time. Uh, first off, you if, okay if you're a punk, right? right? You've got Henry Rollins. Yeah, I mean Family Man by um, Black Flag. That entire album is basically spoken word. Yeah. And that really was, you know, one of those avant-garde punk ideas, which really mm-hmm. reached back to the 70s in England. Uh, there was also a punk poet then, but we don't have to get into all mm-hmm. that. But yeah, there are records of those. But again, spoken word, uh, one of the most important pieces that has ever been recorded in American history mm-hmm. was Margaret Mead and uh, James Baldwin yeah. doing rap on race. They were talking about yeah, race no. relations and it's, I cannot find it anywhere yeah. just on vinyl and the vinyl itself impossible to find right now. Yes. So if I ever come across them, I'd be yes. thrilled to pick it up. So ask you a couple of things that are not academic. See, What is the strangest Thing you've ever done to or with a piece of vinyl <laughs> okay so whenever i was a little kid uh i think everybody remembers the first time they heard run dmc yes and jam master j yes okay who didn't try that with like your victrola record so you, flavor you, you did you know? pull the record oh out oh my two god and try to give it a turn it, a scratch it, a quick oh I, so so much so that I had like white powder on the disc by the end of it. it was and like, did, oh, you, did you did you literally scratch it up? Yes, yeah. I did. I had to go out and get you know other copies yeah. before my parents caught me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> back then though, you could just run you know to a record store. There were record stores yeah. that were selling new records, right? I, I imagine ninety nine percent of the people who have uh, had vinyl and a turntable uh, would have tried that. My understanding, by the way, is only about one in four vinyl listeners own a turntable today, which is strange. Not sure where they're listening to their vinyl. Maybe at a friend's house or in a music store or at a club. I would um, almost consider that they would be collecting the vinyl, and then, uh, but listening to everything on, on iTunes yeah, yeah. or Spotify. Yeah. My right? friend Phil McCaskey has done that. He's digitized his entire 20,000-strong um, um, vinyl record uh, collection. Right, and but he's, we have he's basically converted it so that you still kind of sort of get that same sound, that warmth. He's a DJ, but he has it at his convenience in the at the tip of his fingers in a computer. Right. Well, he's probably thinking he's getting the warmth, but yeah. the truth it's, is, it's just doesn't, the moment you put it over to MP3, you lose, you, you lose some of the yeah. fidelity. You lose something. One thing about records is uh, the way that they are, the way they're the EQ yeah. is set up, the way they're mastered mm-hmm. is different than anything else. Well, I was gonna say, isn't it? also true at least it feels that way when i'm touching a piece of vinyl right or i'm rubbing my lips yes ladies and gentlemen i've actually um tasted vinyl before i remember as a kid putting my tongue my lips on it i remember thinking i wonder if there's a way for me to learn this album or this record in such a way that i could recognize it with my eyes closed recognize it without even hearing it but instead by touching it with my fingers or touching it with my lips and i would just say that you know, the grooves that are literally physically cut into a piece of vinyl, a vinyl record, gives you an opportunity for a haptic or a somatosensory, a tactile experience while oh, you're absolutely. listening, right? Some people say that um, listening to vinyl is organic or even um, sen- multisensorial. I think that's, that's, well, absolutely, that's what they mean. Right? I mean, if you look at, okay, if, if we look at any of the records I brought in, except for maybe the, the Soviet. That one, a little boring, but uh, Malchat Doma, which is probably the one that you can't really read. Oh, well, I was thinking the the sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the sleeve on the Wobblies, mm-hmm. uh, you've got, I mean, it's a work of art. 
Mm. It's absolutely a work of art. Um, then you have to remove the disc from that work of art, physically set it down, and then physically clean it. You should always clean your records before you play them. You know, and after, the, yeah, <laughs> with the brush, usually like an anti-static brush. Um, then you drop the needle and you listen to this, and it's it's a total immersive experience. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening to a 33 and a half, right? I mean, you get what maybe 28 to 35 minutes on one side, and you have to flip it. You know, usually shorter. Which, by the way, is why a lot of albums before were so short by our standards today. Mm -hmm. They had to fit it on the LP, yeah. <laughs> you know. And today we we buy like multi album, you know, like. The albums that are two or three records long now. Now, what does EP and LP really mean? I know it's extended play and long play, but what does but that the, mean exactly? The extended play was shorter than the long play. The long play was the full album. The extended play was kind of um, longer a than a bit, single. It, longer, much longer than a single. Um, and the but the catch was that the single, the forty five, mm -hmm. came in two sizes. Uh, it came in a 12-inch and a 7-inch. Yeah. The 7-inch is the one that everybody thinks of as a single. Uh, the fidelity on that isn't as good as if it were on a 12-inch. And uh, a lot of bands like Deep Purple just put out an album. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's like their, one of their later albums that just came out, I want to mm -hmm. say in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, it is two, two records, and it's... At 45 and on 12-inch records. Nice. And, but the fidelity of it is amazing. Yes. Uh, Rammstein, with their latest nice. the German uh, Zeit. Band. Yeah, with their last uh, album, Zeit. They did the same thing. Well, I'm going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. When we oh. come back, we got way more with our guest. Sweet. And we're back. Talking to our guest, friend and colleague Ben Sorensen about vinyl. He's given us a nice little historical tour of vinyl and talked about vinyl from an uh, academic slash intellectual perspective. But um, during the break, we went out to my fridge and grabbed a couple of uh, Belgium Flemish sours. Sweet. A little shout out to the country of Belgium for making the best sour beer on the planet. I'm drinking a Monk's. Cafe Flemish Sour Ale. Ben, you've got a... Rodenbach Alexander. Yeah, Rodenbach Alexander. My brother Andy, if he listens to this, is going to be very, very jealous. I think that's our number two or three on our favorite beer of all time list. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit, turn the tables a little bit on you and talk right on. a little personally, a little personal anecdote about vinyl. Any stories, any memories, any connections that you have to old friends or... Oh my God! I don't vinyl, even know where to is, begin. Yeah, yeah. What does vinyl do for you? Tell I don't even story. know where to begin because okay, so I'm a musician as well. Yeah. And when I was learning how to play guitar, I remember playing like Led Zeppelin albums and lifting the needle, lifting the arm, and trying it on the guitar, then putting the arm back down, and try listening to it, lift the needle, try to repeat what I heard. This was so vinyl my was childhood. a music teacher. Oh, always. Uh, some people use cassette tapes, but I mean, that was a little bit later, right? Yeah, yeah. That was in the 80s, like yeah. late 80s. I went to cassettes because they were cheap. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why vinyl probably started to fade, supposedly. Right. But as we can tell, its death was greatly exaggerated. Of course. But yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were doing the same thing. 
placing the needle down, listening to a little short excerpt, and then you lift it and you try to repeat it on the guitar or the bass or whatever you were doing, uh, as well as singing. Again, tried to repeat what I was hearing. Uh, Battle of Evermore, that one drove me nuts. I never got it down, right? Because it mm-hmm. was just too much happening. Um, learning how to play uh, Rolling Stone songs, right. you know, not realizing that that Keith Richards was in a different tuning than I was that thankfully for the internet that once I found that he was using alternate tunings, he made a world of difference in learning how to play his stuff. But yeah, I learned how to play it on a standard tuned guitar because I was listening to things like, uh, give me shelter, uh, on vinyl. Right. So, uh, some other memories from vinyl. I remember discovering bands by, you know, trading vinyl with friends or bringing uh say kiss home yeah uh you know that was amazing um and also uh even today i use vinyl um to remember really good friends especially in slovakia so in slovakia i also play fujara pischalka these are shepherd's flutes Mm. uh and they are traditional instruments of that country and the native music if you will the traditional music um and a lot of my friends, uh, many of them uh, have passed on. And yeah. uh, one of my best friends, Dushan Hodik, he passed away. Um, but I do have recordings of them as well as their family on vinyl. Nice. You know, um, one of my friends, Dushan Clement, uh, I've got his his uncle, I believe, on vinyl. And nice. you can't get that on MP3 or anywhere else. Yeah. It's only on vinyl. So I find these. A uh, friend of mine that I had met once or twice, uh, Josef Peshko, um, he was also a great Huyara player, and I've got his album on vinyl. Nice. You know? It, it, so I throw these on, and it's uh, probably a little different. Yeah. It's I'm it takes listening you back, to right? friends, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I actually knew these guys. Yeah. And, uh, talk a little bit more about that visceral experience that we hear people um, sort of hearken to whenever they're being nostalgic about vinyl. What does that mean to you when you hear vinyl being visceral or vinyl being organic or sensorial you know describe uh, describe that for yourself at least. okay so i mean okay one of my best friends in slovakia is a guy named josef zahradnik and we call him chancy uh he has one of the largest record collections in slovakia um over four thousand records wow yeah um and i try to get him vinyl he tries to get me vinyl you know, it, we're always like, did you find this one? I didn't find that. Did you find Rush, this mm-hmm. one? No, I didn't find it, but I found this. Do you like, you know? Mm-hmm. But for both of us, right? right. I, I like. I have to answer it for both of us. That visceral, that tangible moment of, of grabbing a record, mm. what makes it so special? Well, let's go to Led Zeppelin Four, right? Okay. So have you ever seen it on vinyl? I Unfortunately, I didn't haven't. bring mine. Okay, so... If you look at the very front, there's an old man and a painting on this peeling paint wall, right? It looks like a peeling paint stucco wall. Very normal for Europe. Uh, most walls are built with cinder block and then mm-hmm. stuccoed. And, and you know, as they get old, they peel and, and mm-hmm. kind of scrape that off with a paint scraper and, you know, paint over it again. Um, this one looks like it's been neglected, but there is a painting of an old man with um, with a bundle of sticks on his back, and he's got a cane. Now, when you open it, that wall then kind of breaks away, and you see 
a very modern cityscape. Oh, wow. um, Where the songs are listed. So if you open it on one hand, on one side, the normal side that you would have seen whenever you bought this, you have this panorama of like old versus new, right? Nice. Then you flip it over and it's from the tarot. It's the hermit from the tarot. And it's brilliantly painted. So if you can imagine... So before you've ever pulled the uh, piece of vinyl out, right, before you've put the all, needle on the record... You're already in you're this already experience, there, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Led Zeppelin three, for example, uh, the very front page is, looks like a very strange collage. But to make it even crazier is, okay, if you buy it on tape or on CD, you mm-hmm. look at it and it's like, I wonder what they were thinking. Yeah, You get it on vinyl, like the original vinyl. Some yeah. of them aren't done this way. Uh, I, I don't know if the reprints were, but the original you had a pinwheel on this that you could spin and it changed the album cover as you spun it because there were little holes and that pinwheel inside right as you turn it there were new pictures coming through the opening so you know it already you're in the middle of this this visceral experiment this visual encapsulation of what the album may or may not be about right yeah um physical graffiti uh, another one by led zeppelin led zeppelin they were kind of like the tool of their era tool has always come up with great ways to package their their cds beautiful beautiful oh yeah uh one of them they had a stereograph where you could look through 3d images by lifting up one side of the cd the cover on the cd and then on the other hand the other side, you had this like flipping stereograph. Right. It, it was it was almost like um, one and, of those and a lot of that is, is 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 a lot easier now with computer art, right? But these right. guys back in the day who were doing it with vinyl, who were doing it with vinyl covers. I mean, they were right. using printing presses, paint, exactly, I mean, you know, screen so like, printing, whatever. Right. So like physical graffiti. Yeah. Uh, when you pull the records out of this, and it's a top loaded sleeve, yeah, which yeah. is really wild. It looks like buildings, but you pull out the record. And you could flip the records around the sleeves and it was the windows would have different scenes. So you could change the scenes through the windows by how you flip it. Oh, cool. And then there's this piece of paper that um, you could stick in and it would spell physical graffiti in nice. the windows. Right. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, they were experimenting with it in through the outdoor uh, had four different covers. You didn't know which one you were getting because when you bought it, it just said in through the outdoor and it was in a plat, like a paper bag. Right. Most people toss the paper bag. If you can find it with the paper bag, it's probably worth a lot of money. Sure. Um, you didn't know which version of that album you were going to get. I think it had four different covers. And also, from what I understand, I haven't tried it. I have one of the originals, but supposedly you could take the sleeve that you pulled the record out of and that paper sleeve... It is a thicker paper, but it, it's almost like if you remember those watercolor paints, you know. Yeah. And supposedly you could take like a wet sponge and get the, and it would colorize. Oh that wow! Thing. I've never tried it on. Well, mine. speaking of colors, I noticed that some albums, most of them are black vinyl, but I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen some of them are yellow, red, blue. What's going on with that? Oh well, I mean, we've gotten better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a time whenever doing uh, picture discs. Uh, where you had like the picture, like one of the famous ones is Michael Jackson's Thriller. Right. They've always done that as a picture disc. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it came out on black vinyl, but you can find the picture disc where it's the record with that picture of him mm-hmm. reclining. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, 
Is it true that the Th- black vinyl sound as good. Um, collects less dust, or maybe you can see the dust better on them, so you can wipe them cleaner? Is that, is that I'm guess, yeah. It's hard to say because yeah. normally whenever I look at them, I don't see the dust until mm-hmm. I run the brush. And then I just assume like, wow. maybe it had to do with the why mm-hmm. so many of them are black is because you could see the dust on black. I have heard many people say that yeah. uh, you know the black vinyl definitely has better fidelity. But you need than to clean the picture them desk. no matter what, right? I mean, you obviously need. Yeah, but the truth is that uh, I've got many different colored albums. Um, Walmart, of all the places, is doing a great job of re-releasing or releasing their own versions of of albums, but on like different clear vinyl, yeah. uh, red vinyl. Nice. Kill 'Em All by Metallica is on red. Nice. Master of Puppets is on brick red. Um, oh wow! And Justice for All, which is all about money is on green vinyl nice. you know yeah so uh, you know sometimes their choices are kind of like what are you thinking and other times it's like okay i see it um some of the visceral moments you know that for that colored vinyl right pulling this out and seeing what it looks like uh i'm not sure which mulch doma i brought it's the one with the hotel on the front mm-hmm. um i don't know if i brought the egg splattered vinyl or is it just the coke uh, oh, that's the clear, yeah, the clear yeah. Coke-colored vinyl. Yeah, and if, ladies and gentlemen, I can describe it to you, it's so clear that I can I can see completely through it. You can see the little, um, the little grooves in the vinyl very well, but I can see right through them into my computer. So I could read my computer screen right through the entire album. It's really Just cool. beautiful, yeah. But admittedly, yeah. it looks completely clean. And of course, it won't be after I put my grimy hands on it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I'll wash it. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, there's so many, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, there was an artist that I always say, like, saved my life, and that was Leonard Cohen. Mm. You know, um, and I haven't found many albums of his on different colored vinyl. Wow. Uh, but the last album, the posthumous, Thanks for This Dance. Mm-hmm. Or pink, yeah, thanks for the dance. It uh, came out on another color. It came color. out on white. Wow. As well as black, but it came out also a version on white. white. And you had seen and nothing before that. I had never seen anything colored with Leonard Cohen before that. Well, but Leonard Cohen let his, I guess they wanted to let his uh, his uh, writing speak for itself. Always. You know? Yeah. He, he was the No great bells writer. and whistles. Yeah. Uh, except if you look at the covers, again, they're works of art. Yeah of new skin for the old ceremony mm-hmm. as um, a depiction of two cherubims uh, flying while copulating over a river. Yeah. And it comes from a book of alchemy. I want to say from 1623. Wow. So these it's covers gorgeous. told, these covers told a, a pretty seriously deep story. Oh, every time. Always, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 with the old albums, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Then you get some modern that, I don't know. Now, I will have to say for uh, anybody that was coming out of Motown or R&B, mm-hmm. like from like 72 to 80. Right. If they showed up reclining, yeah. you knew that album was going to kick ass. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah. You know, reclining. Reclining. Luther Vandross. Reclining. reclining. Um, there were times when Prince, Prince. Uh, you know, with his shirt off, it, it was like, what's this? You knew that album was going to kick ass. Uh, <laughs> also thinking about Lionel Richie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Reclining. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Funny. Um, but, tell, tell us about the uh, the B-sides. What do you know about B-sides? I mean, were B-sides originally intended 
to suck so badly? <laughs> What's why, why? Why do we stereotype? Is that is there any truth to the stereotype that the B sides are going to suck? The B side was, was supposed to be filler. Okay? okay, so there was a time when, uh, and it really depended on the band, right? Mm. Um, I mean, you wouldn't find Black Sabbath writing a throwaway song. No, in fact. With with the the best artists, you always think, well, that would be one of the limitations, right? Is that you couldn't put all of the songs on the front side because even even as a a long play, right, there wouldn't right. be enough physical room to press out all of those songs. So well, you'd need that second side, right? Of course, I also know that some artists would put out. But that, wouldn't, discs, be, that right. wouldn't really be on the album, the B-side. That yeah. idea of the B-side doesn't come from the album itself. Okay, it comes okay. from the single. Oh, only you from know? the single. <laughs> okay. Really? So All like, right. Your A-side was, you know, your your hit. I and then there's you. the B-side. And that was wow. kind of like the throwaway. Oh, we, we can't waste this vinyl. I but got here's you. something else off the album. You know? right. um, Can you how, think of any B-sides that ever became more popular than the, the A-side? Uh, in or America? Just, or just as popular? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm sure that there's a bunch that I, okay. I could think of. Let's let's have some fun with that, right? Okay, okay so you've got, you know, Queen. Sure. All right, you know. And uh, We Are the Champions is the A side on that single. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the B side was Take a Guess. Uh... <laughs> We will rock you. Yeah, nice. So that yeah. was definitely as popular, if not yeah. more, wasn't it? Right. However, I would argue that um, the way they put it on News for the World, or yeah, I think mm-hmm. it was News mm-hmm. for the World, uh, the the way they put it on there, where it just immediately goes from uh, "We will rock you" right into "We are the champions." Yeah, yeah. That's how everybody wants to hear it. Yeah, not flipping you know? the record over. Right, don't flip it over. You want it to happen like immediately. Yeah, yeah. And I don't so know. So on the extended album, the full album, they put them together. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, they, and they did. It really worked well. Um, I'm sure the artist Rolling Stones of Honky Tonk Woman. Sure. Uh, I think that was a B side. Okay. Not positive, mm-hmm. but I think it was the B side. Right. Um, Beatles, Beatles. Have it. Beatles, yeah. Beatles, I know Revolution was a B-side to Hey Jude. Okay. Interesting. So, you know, that's hard to say which one's more popular. Yeah. But, uh, of course, you know, again, you're talking about the Beatles. Did they ever write anything that they were like, okay, we're just throwing that away? Right. They wrote things that they were like, okay, we're throwing that out. Yeah. But never away. So it makes sense. I mean, if Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers, Prince, think of those kinds of um, songwriting greats. Right. Chances are they're going to be... just as popular on the B side as the A side after some time. Right, right. I think about Elvis Presley. However, um, if we go, this is going into the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, Primitive Radio Gods. Mm. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what the B side was, but the A side uh, was. <clears throat> Have you heard this? Okay, yeah, I remember the song, but admittedly, I didn't remember the name of the band, Primitive Radio Gods. Right. Well, the rest of the album sucked. You know, it's funny, back when um, (laughs) there were a lot of one-hit wonders, you remembered the song, you remembered the chorus, the hooks, (laughs) 
but you never remembered the artist. <laughs> right. Today, we know artists, but we don't necessarily know their song titles. Right. Like, I know Taylor Swift. Oh, of course. But I can't tell you any of her song titles. I can probably sing along with a few songs. Blank but the spaces? titles themselves? No. I mean, oh, come I would, on. You I should know Blink no. Spaces. Mm-mm. You should know Blink Spaces. I probably should, but I don't. I'll write your name. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so what are we missing? I'm not sure. So where are we heading with this? Well, no, I just wanted to uh, bring my audience a sort of nostalgic experience surrounding uh, oh. someone's love of vinyl. Oh, absolutely. Someone as old, if not older than me, who could talk about this intelligently, but at the same time talk about it in kind of a passionate way. I, well, I wanted to make sure I, my guest had some real experience with vinyl. I wanted to make sure it was part of their own personal history. I guess the thing we haven't talked about is <clears throat> maybe why vinyl went away in the first place, and more importantly, what's maybe the impetus for its resurgence. So if you would, you know, start a little bit about, start a little bit, if you would. Sure. Just remind the audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who oh. maybe are too young to even know that that vinyl actually was a big thing until what? About 1980? I, 1990? No, I would probably say about 1995. Okay. And then what happened? It, well, okay, so about 1987, right? right. I, I mean, you, you end up with cassettes. And the cassettes were, what, seven ninety nine, yeah, So a lot cheaper. You know, $10 at most. They were mm-hmm. a whole lot cheaper. You a lot the, easier to make copies of. Oh, You got the yes. uh, boombox with the two cassettes on it. And who didn't have the boombox with that. the two, set, or two decks on there, right? It, it, it always came with a record button. Mm-hmm. It, the moment that you panicked was whenever you had the bot one. And you put it in the wrong one, and the record button went down yes. because somebody put tape on it. Yes, uh, yeah, that would get you in, you know, into some heartbreak. Um, that was beginning to push to to kill vinyl, just pure economics, the mm-hmm. the cost, right? Um, also, the advent of CDs, which I mean, CDs had been around since I want to say the first one to be printed. The technology was 1950, right? But I'm assuming the player was so expensive then that right, it was military. It was actually a military, uh, a military invention. Yeah. Uh, But by 1990, it had become this this standard. Really, by 1989, right? I mean, they were cheap, right? You could get a CD player, a five, a five. Like before, you were buying, you know, Theater of Pain by Motley Crue. You know, a huge, beautiful album with the okay good songs some some of them were amazing right some of them not so much because it was motley Crue, uh but you know hey, but the album the album itself looked amazing too fast for love on vinyl looked amazing right by the time dr feelgood came around you got it on a cassette you had it on on a cd and you had it on vinyl and the cd and the vinyl well, they were about the same cost, but the CD was smaller. You could put more in your bedroom, right? Yeah. You know, so people really jumped to CD plus, you know. Put them you in could, your car as well. Exactly. That was coming, right? With yeah, the disc that, man. Was, that was coming. Yeah, with the disc man and the tape adapter. Yeah. So even if you didn't have the disc player in your car, which skipped, yeah. you know, at first. And then they figured out ESP, which was like this uh, forward read on the CD. Right. So, so it wouldn't skip as, it, as you were driving. Um they, you could still listen to a CD if you had a tape deck, you know, right. with that adapter. 
Green Day was my first, by the way, using that tape deck adapter in the right. portable CD player. Oh, Green Day? You admit Green to that? Green Day, yeah. Oh, no. I was driving a really crappy uh, Honda station wagon. <laughs> Four speed, I think. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Not good. Yeah, turn on the radio, the lights turn off. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Turn on the lights, the radio turns off. Yeah. yeah. Turn on both, the car doesn't start. Do you yeah. remember the first piece of vinyl you ever bought? Oh, the first piece of vinyl I ever bought. Um Probably a Led Zeppelin album. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with Jimmy Page's style, right? On mm-hmm. guitar, it was so much fun to try to emulate. Um, the coolest one I ever bought mm. was when Vitology from Pearl Jam came out. Oh, wow. And I found Spin the Black Circle on a 45, mm. which that song is all about playing records. Mm-hmm. So to have a single of Spin the Black Circle on a 45 on record, right. to me it was just, this is classic. You know? Nice. So, and, and my friends thought it was really cool too. However, at that time, I didn't have a record player. Uh, the old one had died, but I bought it just because of you know what it meant, right? Really? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, some, you know, with the with the death of of records, you mm-hmm. know, the the CD and and the tape deck, it really killed it. And then the MP3. We all remember uh, Steve Jobs coming out and saying, "What's this little pocket on our jeans for?" Well, I figured it out, and he held up his iPod. Was it the iPod? No. Nano. Remember that? And you know, it fits right there. That you know, that was his marketing. And everybody was grabbing MP3s, which were CD quality. And they're putting it onto MP3s, and they would listen to their MP3 players. Little did we know that, you know, we'd get iPhones and never have an MP3 player right. again. Uh, but let's not also forget that by the year, what, 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. retro anything was cool. Yeah, it was cool again. Yeah, and I mean, it's always kind of been that way in the yeah. 1990s with the 1960s, yeah. uh, even the 1920s flapper look, which was also yeah. ubiquitous in the 1990s, though we forget that. We always remember like the grunge, yeah. uh, what was it, trash chic yeah. look, but flannels and whatever. But, you know, it was always hearkening back, always right. going sure. back. And people always go back to what there was. I think right now the the major demographic buying vinyls again is what, what like between 24? 18 and, 24, yeah. 18 to 24, mm-hmm. and then uh, anybody over 55. 55 yeah. yeah. And about 33% of those sales to 18 to 24-year-olds are women, are to women. Really? Right. So they're, they're dominating. Um, are they buying Tay-Tay? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm I wouldn't not be sure. surprised. Or they're buying Paramore, right. who, by the way, is also amazing. Probably Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and, and Paramore. Tay-Tay. I would uh, probably Paramore. think I'd probably think ter- Paramore. If you haven't heard them, I you have. need to check them out. Yeah, definitely have. Yeah. Um, the, the The thing is, is that people are going back to that visceral moment. Yeah. So there's and, this this, rev- this resurgence now, right? Right. And For the past the f- what 15, 20 years, you've seen, but certainly ten to fifteen years, yeah. you've seen this resurgence. And again, demand is so high that um, the the supply can't keep up. Right, we were and, saying earlier. And that vinyl is the number one. I believe it's still the number one medium to purchase music on. I'm not sure, but I do know that to there's, purchase. There's music. as many sales now. There's there's in terms of the number of vinyl records sold, it's right there with the number of vinyl records sold in vinyl's heyday. 
Now, again, yeah, we right. have a much larger population from which to mm-hmm. uh, pull, but still. Right. Um, it and, does but say they something. are also downloading right. and, and streaming yeah, their yeah. music. You've right? got a lot of options, and yet. You know, and yet we're, people we're, are still buying records. Yeah. Part of it, though, is the hunt. I mean, what makes Yosef uh, Zahradnik and I like really enjoy mm-hmm. getting records, uh, going back to Slovakia, right? Right. Um, it's the hunt. Oh, it's trying to find. Yeah. Them. So, for example, um, I brought I brought one here that was Miro Zbierka. Uh, in Zbierka, it, he just died. That one happens to be signed. Um, it says Zonilaski. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. It's the hunt for that album. For me, was just really, really hard to find. That one is uh, straight from uh, communism as well. I mean, that's from the Czechoslovak Communist Republic. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> and some of the music is incredible. Um, most of the music on that one's incredible. Um, I've got a bunch of records where you know it's the hunt trying mm-hmm. to find it. Um, that version of Closer was yeah. so hard to find the clear version with that sleeve. Um, I've got some some Joy Division uh, that is really hard to find. I've got an album on the way that's Warren Zevon that is a glow in the dark record. That's awesome. Yeah, I found it. I was like, oh, okay, I've got to get that. It's Excitable Boy, which is like one so. Of my admittedly, favorite. you know, when I when I use the internet to look up the top two or three reasons people give for uh, wanting vinyl. Um, I'm hearing nostalgia, mm-hmm. which explains the 55 and year olders, but not necessarily the 18 to 24s. I'm hearing uh, this sensorial full experience, this warm sort of fill up the room experience, right. which I can certainly attest to. Um, but admittedly, I've never heard anyone say, hey, this the thrill of the hunt. That's interesting. It's always the thrill of the hunt because the records are very hard to find sometimes. Right. I mean, you can go to Walmart and find, you know, some Something. records yeah, yeah. all the time. Um, trying to think. Uh, Adele. Right, uh, right. That one's very ubiquitous yeah. at Walmart, right? Uh, Taylor Swift, very ubiquitous at but Walmart. But if you want a first run of, say, Madonna. Right. That's going to be tricky. Or... Uh, Let's see if you were looking for, say, let's go to metal, right? Mm. Then go Megadeth. Uh, Killing is my business. Yeah, yeah. And business is good. Uh, the very first album, um, without any of the censoring or the mm-hmm. the remaster, yeah, that's a hard one to find. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to really hunt for that version. So, um, so is there anywhere the uh, White Album? Oh my gosh, you can find the White Album anywhere, but to find one, the first runs. You have to hunt for it. So where do you find these things? I mean, for, for our listeners that want to get into this, obviously they could start with a Walmart and grab some, oh, of, some of these. But yeah. if they wanted to get into this hunt you're talking about and find something a little more esoteric, a little harder to find. I mean, okay. Are so there you, places they can go on the internet? Are there physical yeah. places they can go? Yeah, you can you can hop on to uh, certain things like Discogs. Right? Right. eBay? Amazon? eBay, Amazon. Okay. Amazon will at least let you know if something existed. Mm-hmm. eBay, you have a good chance of trying to find it. Uh, for example, right now, I am on the hunt for Saccharine Trust uh, surviving you always. So Saccharine Trust surviving yeah. you always. If anybody has a lead on that, <laughs> right. uh, give uh, put them on the couch at gmail.com. Uh, that message. one has been hard to find. Okay, it's no, I do not have it on CD. I cannot find it on CD. 
but it was on vinyl and I think it ran once. Okay. So right. Any, so, you any know, clubs, those, any clubs right? online or physical or any uh, I'm storefronts sure you could some. go to still? Um, but okay. So your local storefronts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in Wilmington, North Carolina, right. there's gravity records. Nice. Um, you know, there are a few others, but gravity is, it definitely is my favorite. Okay. Right? Shout so, out to gravity records. Yeah, shout out to Matt Keen and, and gravity records and, and the club, the boys down there and girls, um, it, <laughs> lately it's just been boys, but I don't know who they've hired. I, since I got back from Europe, I need to go look. Uh, but yeah, Gravity Records is amazing. Nice. As far, you know, they're, they're one of my go-tos. Uh, there is a place in Pittsburgh. Um, trying to remember the name of it. It's on Squirrel Hill. Is it Jerry's? I'll have to look it up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, one of the largest, uh, Record shops on the East Coast. We can edit that out, right? So uh, I just typed in uh, Jerry's Records. Yeah, Jerry's Squirrel Records Hill. Squirrel at Hill. Squirrel Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the largest on the East Coast. Yeah, um, that's Pittsburgh. Got a couple right? others: the Exchange, Amazing Books and Records. Oh yeah, there's a lot. There okay. are so many. Um, and Target, uh, believe it or not, they get their like. Mm-hmm. run of specialized vinyl as well as Walmart. And so how do you play these things, man? You get these things, you take them home. Uh, what are, what are kids today going to play them on? <clears throat> well, you got to buy, you got to buy an old Victrola, old phonograph machine. Would you believe turntable? that they have new turntables that are incredible, uh, direct drive. Uh, these, the, the, the top line turntables today blow away anything that are not had. like this victrola i've got in a suitcase in my office no ladies and gentlemen <laughs> just to let you know i brought brought a uh, cheap 50 dollar when i bought it one of our box stores a few years ago into the office haven't really used it ever opened it up plugged it in and i'm getting no power <laughs> <laughs> whoops complete made of complete <clears throat> plastic right but what do you what do you think i mean what are you gonna have what yeah, are you gonna get my wife got me one a victrola and i can actually uh download my record straight to mp3 nice, right nice. onto a flash drive mm-hmm. so you know what's I, a good turntable cost <clears throat> now a good one oh you can go anywhere between 130 up okay up you know um think there's one called orbit where they they the things that they can do with these turntables it's unreal right. um you know acrylic platters uh with sound dampeners on them so there's no skip there's no jumps uh the the the, the anti-skate mechanisms mm-hmm. on the arms mm-hmm. you know play through what normally would have been a skip right yeah yeah you know it, it, the weighted arms um you, you you even on on professional on these professional turntables, there's little dots on the side and a strobe light, and you can tell your RPMs by looking at these dots and strobe. Oh, so you can dial it in. Yeah, yes, you right. can dial it in between two turntables and make sure, like while listening through your headphones, make sure that oh those beats are matching. Hold on, let me stop, tap tap and so here we you go. can slow one of them down. Maybe that's it. Yeah. So if you're I going see. at like 124 and the other you one was at 120, you can slow one down by four, and then you so can line up match. the beat, and then you can make it match and just oh, fade that's over. That's how they do it. Yeah, yeah, tougher to do so, digitally, man. Unless oh, yeah. you've got a, a really nice uh, software, right. I don't. But I've tried to, I've tried to put some songs together digitally using some editing software. I have, and it's not easy. It's not easy, but, but it won't let you dial in. Yeah. yeah, you can dial in vinyl. Nice. And, but these turntables now are insane. 
it's cool. Absolutely insane. Anywhere you can go, so, club, bar, where they play vinyl. Oh, um, here yeah, in here Wilmington, in uh, the Venus Flytrap. Okay, has been uh, having some vinyl nights. Nice. Uh, again, through Gravity. Gravity's working with another bar now. I can't remember the name of it, uh, but they also are trading up vinyl. Um, very often, if you go to places like Ibiza, mm. I know that sounds a little crazy. Yeah, okay. But uh, it's a local gay club. Yeah, um, and they do some vinyl there. They do some vinyl. I've seen some DJs and, pull n- and out not vinyl. just the musical type. I understand. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know those places are hey, vinyl's it, comfortable. Hey, vi- yeah, yeah. Um, those places, though, I mean, you know, it, it, the, those types of clubs where they're pulling out vinyl, it's there's something special to yeah. it. Uh, radio stations, many of them will actually play only vinyl today. Really? Yeah, like the rock stations. Like there's a local one here. I can't remember. The, and I think it's like WGNI. Okay. I'm not positive. And they're doing, but, a, doing but it, all vinyl or a it, lot of vinyl? A lot of vinyl at nice. night. I always hear that, you know, they're playing They're playing it off the platter. Okay. So, That's you know, cool. Yeah. That's so cool. a lot of people are turning to vinyl. It's just a warmer and deeper, fuller tone. Right. Again, it's how you have to master it, the the music before you press it on the vinyl it's a lot raw, more raw than anything else mm. just because it has to be you know it, it you don't get the help of digital uh, manipulation as much right. whenever your stereo is based on which side of the needle it's hitting well i will know? say this you know growing up listening to vinyl i remember the experience of going to Sky City stores, finding a piece of vinyl, taking it home, putting the needle on that record, and calling up friends and family members, right? Sitting around as if we're like, you know, packed in my room for a seance, and all of us simultaneously hearing that drum beat or that guitar riff, right? right. All of us experiencing that sort of cacophony of, um, this, this organic sensorial experience at the same time. And, and I wonder if anyone has ever done that with a CD or an MP3. I highly doubt it. I, I doubt that anyone's ever taken a MP3 and before they ever heard the song, called someone over and said, let's listen together. Right? Well, I, I know that there are some people who do that, uh, especially um, with certain styles, certain genres of yeah, music, yeah. right? Uh, but... It doesn't happen nearly no. as often. Like if you, I don't know if you remember the first time you heard Led Zeppelin four, the very last song when the levee breaks mm-hmm. and you hear that drum kick off, which was being recorded in a bathroom. Right. Right. John Bonham was sitting there and he was hitting it so hard yeah. that there was like a double and triple tap on that. You can barely hear, but it's still there on the bass drum. Mm-hmm. And you get that, you know, which yes. also becomes Ryman and Stealin for the Beastie Boys. Sure. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm sure that people were listening to that at one time and just going, oh my God, come here. You've got to hear this, yeah. you know, cranking it. And that voluminous, that echoing that sound, fullness, that yeah. full just right through the soul. And it's the opposite nowadays when right. you are in a studio that is completely soundproof. And you're tweaking the vocals, particularly auto-tuning, usually up the register so that it's it's tinier and trebly. Um, you just don't get that warm, full, like wrap around your body experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Ben, I'm really happy you came in today and shared some of uh, your story and some of your love and passion Yay. for music. 
It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and play this little ditty to uh, take us out. That's B.P. King singing, by the way. 